When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, thrilled to have you here for this epic debate. This is going to be a fun one, folks, and I'm also thrilled to be back as it's been about a month. So want to say huge thank you to our co-moderators, or I should say moderators, Converse, Carissa, and Praise, as they've been doing a great job. Phenomenal. So I really do appreciate them for moderating for about the last month, I'm thrilled to be back with you and thrilled, as I had told the debaters before we started streaming, I said, I'm thrilled to come back and get to moderate. Having this be my first one back is epic. So want to let you know a few things. If it's your first time here, consider hitting that subscribe button as we have many more controversial, juicy debates coming up. And so if you enjoy those, well might wanna consider hitting that subscribe button for more. Also, no matter what walk of life you are from, we really do hope you feel welcome here, folks. We try to be a nonpartisan channel, so we have no videos that critique or take any sort of sides in the after show. We just say, hey, you know, we'll let the debaters make their case. We'll try to provide a level playing field, and then you, the audience, can let us know in the comments who you found most persuasive. So wanna let you know, both of our guests are linked in the description. So if you want to hear more from Mouthy Infidel or JF, you can hear more from them by clicking on their links down below. And with that, we're going to give them a quick chance to share just what you can expect to find at their channel as we say hello to our guests. And I also want to say really quick, folks, thanks so much. The last stream we raised, I think it was $141 for the family that... The Arbor family, who has experienced a, a legitimate tragedy recently, and so thanks so much for your support as we were uh, in, kind of honored to help in such a, a tragic scenario. So thanks so much for that. We'll start with Mouthy Infidel. What can people expect to find in terms of the videos that you have on your channel, Mouthy? And thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, in my channel, I guess you can expect to find like. Uh, debates and sometimes I'll do videos reacting to like various uh, arguments that I find not compelling. Um, I guess that's just sort of the thing I do. Really cool. Thanks so much. And JF, glad to have you back. It's been a while. What can people expect to find at your channel? And thanks for being here. I'm glad to be here. My channel is JFG Tonight. It's a show, a live show every night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time review of the news, review of philosophical subjects, and biology. Absolutely. Thanks so much for being here, gentlemen. This is a treat to have you. And 
We will kick it off with JF is actually going to have the first opening statement. These are super flexible folks. So if the guests want to have a few minutes for their opening, that works. If they want as many as 10, that works. JF, thanks so much. The floor is all yours. All right. So today the debate is socialism versus capitalism. Um, it may it may depend on what we mean by socialism because there are various forms of it. Uh, generally, what it means is some form of control of the state or the collective or the people uh, that is being imposed on a part of the economic activities. And it can range from democratic socialism, where perhaps just 10% or 40% of the economy would be under democratic control with the goal of redistribution and a form of equalization of uh, of the wealth of outcome of certain services and it can mean up to 100 percent socialism which might be better characterized as communism so all of these systems uh, some are authoritarians some are relying on democracy but they all suffer from the same problem which is the allocation of resources it is that uh, capitalist societies have found a way to allocate resources which is what is triggering the left. This allocation of resources is what they call inequality. Uh, it's more than inequality. It's more than just a difference in the outcome for people. The fact that there are vastly uh, wild, uh, highly unequal outcomes in capitalist society is actually a feature of the system. And you need to understand that when you get rid of it, you get rid of the successes of capitalism. Inequality is the main feeder of success, and it's a feeder of success into the social world that will even benefit the poor, the poorest of society. Uh, inequality is inherent to uh, natural systems and is also important in evolution. If you are in a, uh, in a Nordic country and you go out in the park right now during a winter, or the beginning of the winter, you'll see squirrels uh, accumulating nuts in their mouth and they will pack it so much that they will have their whole mouth inflated sometimes. Uh, <clears throat> if at any point in the evolutionary history of squirrels, we would have started distributing the nuts equally to every squirrel and we would have made sure that even when it's in the very cold of winter, that every squirrel has the nuts that they need. If we had adopted a needs-based approach to squirrel nut feeding, none of the squirrels would be packing nuts right now. None of the squirrels would be taking under their own hands the uh, necessity of their survival. And they would not be self-sustainable. They would essentially need constantly a bunch of humans to feed them nuts. This is the same problem, and this is why this is exactly why there are actually certain signs being put by our governments saying, don't feed the squirrels. If you feed the squirrels, you're going to miss their evolution. You're going to arbitrate them to get free stuff, and they're going to make more babies that are arbitrated in turn to get free stuff. You're going to create a dependency. For the same reason that we should never feed the squirrels, we should never feed the humans either. Uh, the inequality that has led squirrels to accumulate nuts in their own mouth rather than distribute them across distribute them across squirrel society in a communistic fashion 
is the inequality that we find in capitalism and that is driving human societies forward just as much as evolution is driving squirrels forward, which means that, yes, there are people with more money. The reason they have more money is that they have, unless they have committed crimes to get this money, in which case we should put them in jail. But if they have gotten this money by selling stuff, what that means is that the person who's accumulated billions of dollars in their bank account has produced something that was desirable enough to the other humans in the population to uh, to trigger them to abandon some part of their wealth in a trade. They put some cash on the table and they got something in return. The people who accumulate vast amounts of wealth in our society and do so legitimately by selling consensually what they are showing is that their production, their action in the world is beneficial and desirable. And that's why we reward them with billions of dollars. And they should have billions of dollars because I want them to have the resources to develop the technologies, products, and innovations of the future. If you go through a socialist system, whether it's democratic or dictatorial, you are redirecting this money toward people who have no inventivity, who have no, not demonstrated that they were willing to serve the population, that they were capable of developing products that people would want. And what it inevitably leads people to is to lead to improductivity, either by offering services that the population does not want and need to be imposed by law, like certain vaccines are about to be, uh, or uh, by offering public school services that are diminishing in quality year after year and that don't seem to want to fix themselves. In other words, when we steal money from people's pocket through taxes and we redirect it toward any social program, it is in, in this system, it is designed to be corrupt. It will converge toward corruption precisely because it was not consensual, because the people who are taking this money are not like the businessman. The businessman must work in his head every morning, think, how can I satisfy more customers? This is not what the public school teacher needs to think about, nor is it what the tax agency guy who collects money from people against their will thinks about. They think about how they can maintain their system, their corrupt system of socialism in place so that they can keep being fed by it. The businessman is working his ass to make sure that more people are satisfied by his product. That's why capitalism every time beats socialism. And that's why socialism on this planet has either led to complete failure or could survive as a parasite of capitalistic society as it does in certain nations of Europe. So don't go for socialism. Or if you go, make sure that you go for it so small that it's only a small part of your economy that's led by it. Because the bigger the part, the more corrupt, the less service you will get for your population. Socialism is a destructor of wealth. Capitalism is something that builds complexity and wealth in our society. And that is my introductory statement. Thanks so much, JF. We will kick it into Mouthy Infidel's opening statement. So, Mouthy, thanks so much. The floor is all yours. 
Okay, cool. So I guess I'll go over like my opening statements and I'll uh, kind of try and address where I disagree with JF a little bit on some of the points. Um, so I think there are a few reasons why uh, capitalism, uh, specifically the sort of free market capitalism with, uh, you know, little to no social welfare and so on that I believe JF advocates for. Um, would not be a sound way to uh, maximize societal utility, so to speak. Um, so for one, a free market uh, distributes economic resources based solely on the marginal productivity of each unit of capital and labor in an economy, um, which will produce massive levels of in, uh, economic inequality for a few reasons. Um, for one, Around half of the population works nor owns a considerable amount of capital, meaning their true factor income is around zero dollars. Two, there are considerable productivity differences between different jobs, which means high wage differences. Uh, and three, capital is uh, distributed extremely unevil, unevenly, which is, uh, uh, and so capital payments are very uh, unequal. Um, economic inequality tends to be bad for a number of reasons. Uh, for one, because people's desires and estimations of their quality of life is relative to this uh, society that surrounds them, uh, having high economic inequality leaves significant amounts on the lower end of that distribution uh, to suffer unnecessarily. Um, additionally, it's just an inefficient allocation of resources due to the fact that it allocates uh, crazy disproportionate amounts of resources to people who are already very rich and benefit very little from receiving them in terms of marginal utility, uh, while leaving considerable amounts of people completely uh, economically screwed. Um, also, economic inequality can be shown to lead to a variety of other adverse outcomes, such as uh, worse economic growth, increased crime, decreased social cohesion, worse mental health, etc. Um, another issue uh, with this free market capitalist society is that, again, about half of all people don't work and shouldn't work. Uh, this includes children, the disabled, the elderly, caretakers, etc. Um, and this is actually, by and large, why the poverty rate, uh, at least in the U.S., uh, is as high as it is. Um, a system that distributes solely on the basis of market income is a society that creates very high levels of poverty due to the fact that about half the population is locked out of receiving a market income. Uh, additionally, uh, the system that JF advocates for produces a high level of alienation, which is substantially harmful to people's well-being. Um, studies have shown internationally somewhere from 70 to 80 percent of workers, uh, according to Gallup at least, uh, feel disengaged with work, which so many people spend so much of their life at, um, which is correlated to a lack of control uh, and influence over the business that they work at. Um, there's also the problem of the non-correspondence between what's profitable and what's overall good for humanity. Um, so like if you create a Venn diagram, there's certainly overlap between what's good for society and what's profitable. For example, I would say like my clothes were profitable for someone to produce and they happen to be useful. Um, but there's a significant amount of non-overlap as well. Uh, in other words, if something is profitable to do and not good for humanity, it's pursued by companies. And if something is good for humanity but not property, uh, but not profitable, it is uh, not pursued by companies, which leads to a substantial net harm uh, being done to societies. 
Um, so a socialist society that redistributes wealth through welfare, puts ownership in the hands of the public through a social wealth fund and nationalization of certain industries, as well as encouraging sectoral unions and some uh, perhaps some co-determination policy um, would take care of all of its members, uh, not produce gross economic inequality, um, align uh, economic decision-making with the good of society, and wouldn't produce pervasive and soul-crushing alienation. Um, so I guess that's like my pitch. Uh, in terms of where I disagree with some of what uh, uh, JF says, um, he made the argument that redistribution causes uh, dependency. Um, I'm not sure uh, uh, if that holds a lot of empirical weight. Studies have repeatedly found that of all the recipients of welfare, almost like 100% of them are either working or have a family member who's working. Um, studies have found, uh, like behavioral economic studies have found that I think uh, from a study from uh, MOFIT that um, uh, the work disincentive effects of poverty um, affect its uh, uh, anti-poverty, uh, uh, sorry, let me rephrase that. The anti-work incentive effects of welfare reduce its anti-poverty effect by about uh, approximately 0%. Um, as far as the idea that like public schools are bad, I guess, um, this just doesn't really happen to be true. Uh, studies have repeatedly found that um, uh, public schools are... Uh, uh, cheaper and lead to better outcomes than private schools um, in terms of quality. Um, as far as like uh, higher taxes and stuff leading to more corruption, um, this also doesn't happen to be true. Um, if we look at uh, like the 10 least corrupt countries in the world, according to uh, the Transparency International's ranking, um, on average collect like 23.64% of their GDP in taxes, while the 10 most corrupt countries for which uh, there is data, data available collect only 14.5% of their GDP in taxes, according to the World Bank. Um, central government expenditure as a percentage of GDP is twice as high in the least 10 corrupt countries compared to in the 10 most corrupt countries for which there is data. Um, even if we take the whole world as a sample, we find a positive relationship between government size and institutional quality. Uh, the correlation between total tax revenues as a share of GDP and institutional quality being 0.34, and the correlation between total government consumption as a share of GDP and institutional quality being 0.39. Um, I'm not sure, I was kind of confused by this argument about how um, it leads to uh, unproductivity. Um, if we look at the specific institutions that I'm advocating for, for example, uh, unions, um, taxes, and social welfare policies, these kinds of things have been repeatedly empirically found uh, uh, to actually uh, spur growth. Um, I'm not convinced that we need to allocate um, all of these resources towards people who are already rich so they can continue innovating, especially when we know that uh, social welfare redistributive policies um, do things like increase the numbers of startups because there are a lot of people who would be innovative um, but don't get to realize their innovative capacity because they're afraid if they lose their job, then they'll lose their health care or something like that. Um, I know Gareth Olds has done a lot of good work on this showing that social welfare policies increase startups. Um, there was a study um, 
which found that uh, from policy and society, which found that more social spending policies show a positive correlation uh, or a po positive causal relationship with innovation across OECD countries, even accounting for other factors and so on. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess it's like an okay story, but I, I just don't see anything JF is saying like being borne out empirically. You got it. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. We will kick it into open dialogue. So we we'll have a good, clean discussion. We have great difficulty hearing you. Uh, we will kick it into modern. Thanks so much. Let me double check that I'm good on Zoom. And we will kick it into open discussion. Thanks for that feedback, JF. And want to remind you folks, both of our guests are linked in the description. With that, the floor is all yours, gentlemen. All right. Uh, well, I've listed the point here in my notepad of the issues that we could take with each other's position. Uh, but perhaps I should start with what I've emphasized in my introduction, which is um, the allocation of resource in socialist systems. Do, how do you see the mechanism for deciding which projects should be funded? You've mentioned utilitarian considerations. Is that what, what your philosophy is based around, well-being? Okay, uh, and the well-being would be established by who, and would it be ultimately under democratic control? Um, I'm not sure what you mean by who would establish um, well-being, um, and I don't know what you would mean by uh, well-being being under democratic control, um, but in terms of what I advocate for as the mechanism through which we allocate resources, is I advocate for having sectoral unions, I advocate for having an expansive social wealth fund uh, through which the government uh, owns and exert ownerships uh, through uh, buying up shares of uh, companies in the economy. Um, I advocate for uh, high taxes and uh, big social welfare policies. Um, so I guess that's basically like the gist of the institutions that I advocate for. But the government that you're thinking about, is it like a U.S.-type government? Is it more a, a dictatorship? Is it more like a co-op? What is it? It's just a democratic government like what exists in the U.S. Okay, because in a democratic society, there can be conflicts about what well-being is. And ultimately, uh, you would have conflicts. For example, think about the mass. There are some people who are for the lockdowns, there are some people who are against it. Ultimately, by who determines what well-being is, I mean, will you be abandoning your definition of well-being to a form of uh, elite technocratic medical uh, authority, or will it be a decision by the people? How does that work? Um, I mean, decisions, like democratic decisions, would be made... Uh, in this society that I'm advocating for here in the same way that they currently are, just through a representative uh, democratic structure. So you realize that sometimes the mob uh, gains too much power in democratic societies and ends up impeding on individual liberty. Do you have concerns for this? Or, for example, if, uh, if, a, if a mob of people starts voting for Democrat candidates, starts increasing the size of the state, eventually the states decide to lock down businesses and keep them from 
doing their business, even if they're doing so with customers that, that are engaging consensually, perhaps under the excuse of COVID, for instance? Do you take issue with this happening or do you think it's ultimately the leaders elected by the mass, by the mob that can decide whether I can do business? Um, I think that uh, if we're talking about do I have a problem with if people democratically decided uh, to vote in a leader who or, you know, a Congress who did things that were bad, um, then I would have a problem with it in the sense that, you know, bad things are being done. But I think um, we can have a society where our institutions lead to bad decisions or bad things happening. Uh, in virtually any governmental structure. So, um, but in terms of like the lockdowns, I guess I don't want to get like too into that, but I mean, I'm fine with um, the government uh, like imposing restrictions uh, in order to preserve uh, public health. So this to me constitutes the great weakness of socialism, which is that the people who can stop you from doing something, the people who can deprive you of your wealth and argue that somehow it benefits some other people or that somehow you not engaging in business is done for saving lives of other people who are unrelated to you. This is the great weakness of socialism, which is solved under a free system, a capitalist system, whereby you are responsible for your profits and your loss. The problem under socialism is that I'm not only responsible for my profits or my loss, I can have these profits and loss uh, artificially manipulated by a government who doesn't quite pay the price that I have to pay. I was seeing this businesswoman, for example, she set up her whole restaurant according to the latest COVID rules with social distancing and an outside part because we could only eat outside where she lives. And eventually the government, a few days after she made all these investments, says, oh no, we're shutting down the whole street. Uh, there's there's too much COVID. We can't even eat outside. So she spent tens of thousands of dollars in the hope of fitting within the socialist program on, on, just to find out that she did for nothing because the laws just change uh, on the whims of some decision maker at the top of our state. So the problem of socialism is this lack of connection between decision making and punishment for decision making. Uh, the reason there there are lots of poor people, as uh, as Marty and Fidel was complaining in capitalism, is that capitalism punishes bad decisions and punishes uh, sometimes bad decisions that you haven't even taken, but that your parents may have taken. And I think that's fine. That's a fine feature. If we don't have this, we have people who accumulate money uh, out of predatory relationship, a little bit like uh, de Blasio in New York, who's essentially shutting down uh, businesses that he's not benefiting from, but is uh, in turn favoring the kind of businesses that he benefits from, which in his case is, turns out to be real estate. Uh, it's a big problem. So to me, uh, Marty and Fidel has no pillar. He says there are bad things. He doesn't have a philosophical pillar on what a bad thing is. I know what a bad thing is. A bad thing is, is something that happens against your consent. And the only societies that made it into highly productive societies are those that have understood this concept, at least in part, if not uh, adhere fully to it. The reason we can have some social welfare today in America is as a parasitic uh, 
grift over a great success that our capitalist societies have been having. Uh, in the description of your disagreement, Marty and Fidel, you say uh, that you don't quite agree that redistribution produces dependency. Well, I'm looking at the graph of welfare in America, and it keeps increasing. Somehow, if welfare was there to fix some sort of injustice forever, and perhaps there were injustices that were coming from the past, if we could fix these injustices with welfare, you would have given some welfare in the 70s, and then the situation would have fixed itself. That's not what we see. The welfare distribution uh, in America keeps increasing since the 60s up to today. Uh, another point of disagreement that you take is public schools versus private schools. You say Jeff is wrong. Public schools are good. I wasn't uh, referring to private schools, although I do think that they're very good. I was referring to the outperformance, for example, of homeschooling with respect to public school. Uh, there are some very low quality professors, for example, in the Canadian system of education, and we can't fire them. We just can't, unless they do some rape or some, some criminal action, we won't be able to fire them because the unions are too powerful. And when you consider that they're getting paid for what they do and they are outperformed by untrained parents who do the same at home, it's quite impressive and it shows the inefficiency of the whole system. Uh, you mentioned that there was a correlation between institutional quality and total government share of GDP. I have, uh, I, I would be surprised that there wasn't. Of course, if you take more money from people's pocket, you build bigger institutions. But it's only by the standard of the, these very institutions that they self-evaluate. These institutions do not deliver services to the people in the same way the capitalist system does. And finally, and of course, you will be able to address all these points, Uh, you said you don't see where the unproductivity in the government is. You, I don't know what age you have, but you, you just have to go get a driver's license and versus get something at Walmart. You'll see the difference between a state system and a, uh, a private system. The private system is optimized to give you what you want. The state system is optimized to follow the rules of Uh, lady ABC who wants you to sit in this particular chair and wait for your ticket number to be called and will have you wait hours before you get your freaking card. It's unbelievable. Uh, just go to any governmental service, you'll see the difference between a governmental service and the optimization that the private economy leads to. You got it. Thanks so much. And we'll give, Mouthy, we'll give you plenty of time to respond. Okay. So a few things. So um, I think you said there's a problem with socialism and that the government uh, can get people to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. Um, the problem here is that I think this is actually a good thing. So for example, we can see that um, most people Uh, by themselves wouldn't just choose to like give money to charity or at least give enough money to charity. 
Um, but when the government forces people to give money to uh, support uh, uh, poor people, uh, then that actually leads to a positive outcome. This is why private spending and private charity doesn't actually or hasn't actually been seen to correlate with reductions in poverty, whereas government welfare does significantly uh, uh, reduce poverty. Um, so I think that if the government can get people to do things through compulsion that they otherwise wouldn't do, and the result of this is that we don't have children living in poverty and everyone in society uh, or ma mass swaths of people living in society can be better off and not be doomed to poverty, um, I think that's a positive thing. Um, you said that capitalism punishes bad decisions, um, even if your parents made them. Uh, that's a good thing. If you don't recall when I laid out um, why uh, uh, poverty is as high as it is, it's because of people who are locked out of uh, market income because they're disabled, uh, because they're old, because they're uh, like elderly and can't work, because they're children. Um, because they're uh, care, caring for someone else, uh, like in the family. Um, I fail to see how you can connect any of these characteristics with decisions made by these people or made by their parents. And I don't see how letting people live in poverty because uh, they uh, are children or elderly or disabled um, punishes bad decision-making in any way that leads to um, any sort of positive outcome in society. Um, so I guess you'd have to explain to me how punishing people for circumstances that they have no control over uh, leads to better incentives that create a, a more uh, flourishing society. Um, you th I think you said that I don't have a philosophical pillar of what bad things are. Um, and that productive societies understand this, uh, and the reason we can't have we can have socialism is because it's a parasitic grift that lives off the productivity of capitalism. Well, um, a, a few things. Um, I guess my philosophical pillar of what a bad thing is um, is generally uh, what is subjectively not wanted when experienced. Uh, uh, by people in society, right? This is like the classic definition of uh, uh, pleasure and suffering used by utilitarians like John Stuart Mill. Pleasure is what is wanted when experienced. Um, uh, uh, suffering is what's not wanted when experienced. And I don't think it has to be any more complicated than that uh, in order for us to create policies aimed at uh, maximizing pleasure and maximizing societal utility. Um, the idea that productive societies are productive because they're capitalistic, and if a, a productive society has socialism, it's just because of a parasitic grift, um, doesn't square well with empirical evidence suggesting that um, uh, redistributive policies uh, actually increase productivity um, in societies. Uh, so, for example, we can look at a study showing that um, uh, uh, programs, social programs like unemployment insurance uh, increase economic growth. We can look at studies from OECD and the International Monetary Fund showing that tax and uh, redistribution policies have a positive causal impact on uh, economic growth and economic productivity. Um, like this argument just doesn't really hold up empirically. Um, you said that welfare is increasing, which means there is dependence. I don't know if that means there is dependence um, in the sense that people feel more dependent on welfare. 
Um, I think welfare is uh, generally increasing in the US and other places, the trajectory isn't exactly the same. Um, but I don't think this is evidence of a bad thing um, because something is increasing over time doesn't therefore mean that it's causing any negative outcomes. Um, you said if we could fix injustices with welfare, it would have fixed itself already. The mistake you're making there is that the problems that need to be fixed by welfare aren't like one-time things. And then when we fix them, they go away. And the fact that we still have welfare means that it's not effective. The problems which welfare addresses are ongoing problems, like the fact that market, uh, uh, market income distributions don't distribute income to people who are like children or disabled or elderly, those kinds of things. So we wouldn't expect welfare to fix it as like a one-time thing and then go away. Um, you brought up the point about institutional quality. You said that like, of course they correlate with government's uh, in involvement because um, obviously the government has more money. I think you just weren't really understanding what I mean by the metric of institutional quality. So when I'm talking about institutional quality, I'm talking about things like, uh, and this is in the academic literature, we're talking about things like um, the level of corruption in the government. We're talking about things like uh, rule of law. We're talking about things like government effectiveness. We're talking about things like government accountability, um, lack of violence, um, political stability, absence of terrorism, these kinds of things, which are pretty objectively desirable. Um, and if we can show that um, government uh, size uh, correlates with these kinds of institutional qualities, um, then I think we can pretty safely conclude that um, uh, government isn't, uh, bigger government isn't creating all these kinds of corruptions, which is the claim that uh, you initially made. Um, so I guess that's like the broad thing. I also like, you keep going back to this idea of like an inefficient allocation of resources and socialist systems, but I guess I'm not, because you said that that's the point you wanted to emphasize at the beginning, but I'm not exactly sure what you mean by that. All right. So what I mean is that Elon Musk has a big stack of money in his bank account, and it's better that Elon Musk has it than that we distribute that amount of money to a hundred million poor people. Because Elon Musk with it has demonstrated that he could do something better that these 100 million poor people couldn't do, couldn't possibly do. So that's the allocation of resources. The fact that those people who get very rich in capitalist society get to determine the future of it, get to determine the future innovations. And in doing so, in fact, have to get rid of this money anyway. They have to pay it in salary to their employees to develop their new ventures. And that this particular aspect of capitalism is absolutely needed for the creation of wealth and the improvement of society over intergenerational times. Okay, so I guess like my disagreement here is that you said it's better to give all of this money to Elon Musk because he can do productive things with it, wherein people who aren't getting money have uh, shown themselves that uh, they just don't have any capacity to be innovation uh, to be innovative. But I don't think that actually follows because we see, um, again, I know that um, the economist Gareth Olds has done a lot of good work on this, that welfare programs actually increase innovative business startups because um, there are a lot of people who do have the capacity to be innovative, but they're not going to 
realize that capacity because they're scared that if they leave their job to go start an innovative business, then they're going to lose their health care. And then what happens if they uh, uh, come down uh, with an illness? Uh, in a socialist society, we're not saying that we can't allocate more resources uh, in ways that uh, they're going to be uh, innovative. Um, but I think that a lot of the a lot of people have the capacity to be innovative, and that's why we should uh, uh, spread the wealth uh, more so. The problem if, if if that was viable as a thought, and if your studies were correct, and I don't think they are, I think your studies probably have detected a little boost in some form of entrepreneurship. Of course, if you throw money out the window, you're going to have all sorts of entrepreneurs showing up. And simply because there's a surplus of money, they're going to be able to, for a moment, maintain some sort of production. The question is long-term, those systems that survive, those things that change the world decades after decade, uh, they must be extremely rewarded. And that is what capitalism do. And it does so simply by ensuring that as long as you sell the product and as long as they're good, they're going to build your bank account and you're going to have demonstrated that you are you have some merit to your decision making. The problem is if you throw money out the window, yes, you're going to have small entrepreneurs showing up. But if this was a, a genius uh, economic move, you would have banks doing it. And clearly, they're not doing it. If it was the case that funding just random poor people to go on their dream and produce anything, banks would, would just throw money out the window, uh, give loans to 100 million people and hope to gain the profits from it. That's obviously what, what, what we don't have. We have instead uh, shark-like uh, systems where uh, the investors would highly select what they invest in. The reason is most businesses, even if they could survive a few years, cannot be sustainable and cannot generate much profit. So they're not worth the investment. Sure. So I know you said like the studies are probably wrong because, of course, if you throw money out, more people are going to make businesses. But that's kind of what I'm saying, right? If you throw more money out, more people are going to have more security and are going to feel more secure to make businesses, which means more businesses and more innovation. Um, you said if this was like a good idea, then like banks would be doing it and they would just be like giving out millions of dollars in loans uh, to people and then hoping that they started a business. I would assume the reason that banks aren't doing this is because if they just throw out money to everyone, there's no guarantee that any of the people that they throw money to are actually going to make an innovative business. That's why what banks typically do is wait around and wait for people to come to them with an idea that they already have, and then say, uh, okay, you have this idea, I'm going to uh, give you some money uh, so that you can finance it. Um, but that doesn't mean that if the government gives these people money, that these people won't then go create a business. Uh, Absolutely like beautiful what you just said. You just realize why we shouldn't throw money either with the government or with the banks. You said it. There's no guarantee that it will come back to you. And we know that it won't come back. That's why social welfare is increasing uh, decade after decade in the U.S. You found the reason, but you, you somehow you could apply it to bank but you didn't realize that it also applies to the government. 
throwing money away will get some things activated. Some of your poor people will just spend it all on Amazon. Some of your poor people might delude themselves into the idea that they have a viable business and it will crash like 90% of the business within two years. Uh, but it's not viable because it's not profitable. Uh, the innovation that needs to be done, there is plenty of people with stacks of money that, are, that have already demonstrated their talent and that have more chance to succeed because they've been succeeding in the past. The reason Elon Musk could succeed with SpaceX, no matter if he got governmental grants, which I would disagree with, but let's put this on the side, somehow he's managed this, uh, this money successfully, at least in the term of realizing, realizing something in terms of science and engineering. But the reason he could do it, and many people couldn't, is that he, he, he had demonstrated his ability through his creation of PayPal and of his other business ventures. That's why he was the right guy. But the socialist system doesn't pick the right guy. In fact, it keeps picking the wrong guy always. And so I say, you, you mentioned there are handicapped and uh, children and women who may not be ready for the workplace and old people. I'm not for these people suffering, but I am for private interest to be taking care of these people. And if you don't have the surplus in your production on the free market to, to say, feed your 10 children, maybe you shouldn't have 10 children. And maybe it's a good thing that society is arranged in a way that it tells you we're not going to feed your children. So make sure that you produce enough. If you want to get three children, you need to produce enough to have the food to feed three children. That's the best way to arrange society. Or else, what do we have? We have the constant spawning in society of people who will have no solution, no genes that will allow them to create anything in this society other than a request for help other than the needs, the needs that you, the socialists, constantly want to address. Sure. So you made the idea, you made the point that, um, so study, you said like capitalism means that if you are good at making money, then you make more money. Um, fundamentally, that wouldn't be different from a socialist society, because in a socialist society, um, it, we're not abolishing uh, uh, companies having uh, uh, companies that are more productive, making more money. Um, we're just essentially saying that there is a degree of excess here. Um, and to some extent, we can redistribute wealth so people can, uh, so we can alleviate poverty for uh, tens of millions of people. Uh, and fundamentally, I don't think this has any negative income or negative impact on uh, innovation, at least as we see from uh, the empirical literature, which tends to suggest that um, uh, countries with more social spending have higher levels uh, of innovation. Um, well, you uh, I, would ask to, that... I would ask a question about these studies, uh, because I'm not convinced that it has the causal effect that you claim. Uh, I believe like a few points, may... I kind of... I kind of have to address a few other points that you made real quick right. and then we can get to it. Um, you said that um, some people shouldn't work and that private interests should take care of these people. Um, the problem is this just doesn't work. So study after study has found that private charity does not have any statistically significant 
uh, negative impact on the rate of poverty, whereas government welfare reduces poverty to a very significant degree in countries with higher levels of welfare um, have much lower levels of poverty. Like this, is, this has been routinely found. So it, it, it's nice to think that, hey, for the millions of people who shouldn't work, maybe you know, children, old people, disabled people, et cetera, um, maybe the community will just pitch in. The problem is this just doesn't happen. We need some coercive element here to uh, take care of these people. Um, the idea that like maybe they just shouldn't have children, um, Okay, I mean, you can say that, but that doesn't really solve the problem uh, that they are having children and now people are in poverty in very high numbers because of it. And there's no evidence that sending this message that if you don't have children, um, you're going to, or if you uh, have children and you can't take care of them, that that leads to people actually uh, seeing that incentive and being uh, more uh, uh, fiscally responsible, I guess, uh, because of it. Um, if this were true, then uh, not through this mechanism of having these proper incentives, but it doesn't. We've seen repeatedly that we need welfare to reduce to a, a significant degree. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I just don't really see a lot of this. You said that socialism picks the wrong guy. I also wanted to get to this bank analogy because you said that um, the bank analogy can be equally applied to government, but I don't actually think that it can. Um, because if you're a bank, you're looking out for maximizing your private profit margins. If you're a government uh, uh, doing what I'm advocating governments do, then that means the uh, what you're trying to maximize is overall societal well-being, not your private profit margins. Um, so, which yeah. confirms that it's ultimately an economically unviable project that you have. You want to constantly address the needs of people in terms of well-being to the cost of others against their consent, and that's my problem. Is that if a bank doesn't do it, it's me. It means it's not economically viable, and it means that you're losing money. You're taking that money from somewhere. It's my pockets, and I'm worried about this. In fact, earlier you were mentioning that you define your whole project around what people do not like. Well, people do not like to be taxed and people do not like to be forced to invest in ventures that they haven't agreed with. And so I would hope that in your society, you would leave an opt-out for people who don't want to pay taxes so as to maximize their well-being, right? Sure. So for uh, a couple of things. So you said we need to address the needs uh, of people at the cost of others without their consent. And that's like, therefore, bad. Um, I don't, I, I just don't really care about that. Like, quite frankly, I, I don't care uh, if we need to uh, tax a billionaire um, when he doesn't consent to it uh, in order to uh, uh, provide health care to the tens of thousands of people who are dying every year because of a lack of health care, um, then I'm completely fine with that. Um, I think it was a Harvard, uh, a Harvard study which found that about 45,000 people a year die of lack of health care. Um, so you keep alluding to these concepts like consent as if what you're advocating for is like the maximization of freedom. But I want you to uh, answer out of these tens of thousands of people who die every year because of a lack of health care, how much um, uh, how many units of freedom do these people collectively hold? Because I, I don't think that 
um, these people who are dead have very much freedom. And I don't think most people living in poverty really can, uh, consented <coughs> to the uh, conditions uh, that have created uh, their situation. Well, um, let's talk the, about this definition of freedom. Uh, what do sure. you mean by freedom? Do you so mean that they're entitled to have people work for free to save their lives? Sure. So not my definition of freedom, but the definition of freedom is the ability to um, act as one wants without hindrance or constraint. Um, if you don't have health care and you die to a lack of health care, you don't have much ability to do what you want without constraint. Um, similarly, if you're in poverty or you're in a job, Um, where you have healthcare and you're too scared to leave that job to maybe start up a business or do what you want to do in your life, um, then again, you're not free to do what you want without hindrance or constraint. You're just arbitrarily drawing the line of what counts as a hindrance um, at uh, what the government does, but that's quite clearly uh, not the only hindrance that can exist in reality. So what you're doing is extortion based on a natural event, and you are trying to extort people's freedom using that extortionist tactic. You're saying this person is about to die, therefore death will be the hindrance on their freedom. Therefore, I have the right to impede on your freedom to force you to save them. Uh, that is exactly the kind of authoritarian thinking that leads to unproductive societies, that leads to something like the Canadian healthcare system, in which you wait uh, years to get service, and it leads to absolute uh, lack of service for everyone, because it deprives you of at least a private option where you could get the surgery paid for. But ultimately, what you talk about is not freedom, it's entitlement. It's entitlement to have doctors around you. And the, doc the doctors, you don't seem to be thinking about their freedom. You care only about the freedom of the population you're trying to save. But I haven't hindered them in any way. I haven't caused their death. And the lack of health care that you complain about is absolutely a natural state of humanity. I haven't caused it. Sure. Um... Give me a sec. Um, okay, so a couple things. So for one, um, your first point was that it's extortion to say that um, people uh, uh, are losing their freedom because they're dying because of a lack of health care, and therefore it's not um, uh, conducive to freedom, and therefore it's conducive to freedom to tax people to pay for their health care. Um, you can call that extortion if you want. I guess you can frame it that way. What I would call it is a deductively valid argument because the fact that freedom is the ability to live one's life as one wants uh, without any hindrance uh, and the fact that um, dying because of a lack of health care is a hindrance uh, points to the idea that giving people health care Uh, and providing people health care through taxes can actually increase uh, a net societal freedom. I mean, that's just like de very deductively clear. Um, you bring up wait times. I don't actually find uh, arguments from uh, like wait times in places with single payer uh, very convincing. Um, even if I were to grant all these claims about wait times, um, this would kind of be like if you were to say, 
hey, let's compare uh, uh, x-rays of our femurs. Look, uh, your femur is broken and my femur isn't broken. Therefore, I'm more healthy than you. Um, but then we like zoom out and you have like a broken neck and are also dying of AIDS. Like this is kind of like what this would be like, because if you look at the overall rankings of healthcare systems, for example, from like the Commonwealth Fund, in terms of cost, in terms of access to care, in terms of uh, timeliness of care even, um, uh, countries with single payer systems and universal systems disproportionately do much better uh, than the United States's uh, private uh, uh, healthcare system. Um, you talked about like the freedom of doctors. Um, I don't know what you mean by that. This is kind of like the Ben Shapiro single payer would make my wife a slave because she's a doctor meme. Just because we have single payer healthcare doesn't mean we are forcing people to be doctors, right? It just means that the government is paying for people's insurance. It doesn't mean we're putting a gun to someone's head and saying, hey, you need to sign up to be a doctor, right? Um, you talked about how you haven't caused lack of health care um, and people who are paying taxes who would pay for other people's health care haven't caused a lack of health care. It's just a natural state. Um, to be honest, I don't care about that. The point is that there is a large degree of unnecessary human suffering, which is taking place due to people's lack of access to health care. And whoever caused it, whether it's a natural state or not, um, it would uh, increase net societal well-being to provide these people health care and provide tens of thousands of deaths. And I think that's a desirable outcome. I'd like to go back to your what you called your deductively uh, reasoned argument, where essentially you have justified an entitlement to health care. I would like to show you that with the same uh, entitlement to positive freedoms and the service of others, I could make the argument that I'm, I want to be an astronaut. I don't want my country to have an astronaut. I want to be the astronaut. So why don't you make me a rocket ship? Uh, that's what I want. Why don't you make me a rocket? Sure. So the idea here is uh, essentially it's a, a deductio ad absurdum, right? You're basically saying like, because I could apply your argument uh, or your line of reasoning to something that uh, wouldn't be justified, therefore you can't justify it uh, in the case that you're talking about. I would consider um, the right of tens of thousands of people or the freedom of tens of thousands of people uh, uh, not to die from lack of healthcare to be a bit more important uh, and a bit more uh, desirable. Uh, my preference, I know you agree with me that we talk about morality in terms of preferences. My preference uh, for tens of thousands of people not dying due to lack of healthcare is higher than my preference uh, for anyone uh, deciding that they wanna be an astronaut uh, and then being able so to do that It boils down to your emotions. It boils down to what triggers you and your preference. Well, no, it comes down to maximizing societal utilities. So I'm utilitarian. I want to maximize societal utility. And I think that uh, providing tens of thousands of people healthcare uh, or millions of people uh, healthcare maximizes societal utility, whereas forcing people to build a, a rocket ship for you would not maximize societal utility. Well, Streep Roman on the regular chat says, I want a rocket, not healthcare. So what about him and me? We want rockets. Can we opt out of your healthcare system? Uh, nope. 
I, I, I mean, I don't see how that really like logically follows, right? Like, um, we're no, talking about logically follows. That's my point. My point is that what you call a deductively net. reasonable argument is nothing else than an emotional preference that you have for people not dying. Well, okay, sure. So what I'm talking about is that my preference, and I don't know why you're like gesturing in this way, because I know that all of your moral claims, you believe stem back to your preferences as well. Um, I've, I've heard you are a moral nihilist. I know this is true. So I don't know why Absolutely. you're trying to like frame it as if like, oh, it's just your preference. Well, because sure. I don't so come here claims. saying that I have deductively reasoned arguments. I come here to share Deductive, my preference wait, 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 for wait, wait. capitalism. Deductive, deductively reasoned arguments uh, uh, can include subjective premises, right? Um, so uh, sure, premises, uh, my premise that um, I desire the uh, uh, decrease in net societal utility is a subjective one, right? Um, you could say that your subjective preference is that you want people to build you a rocket ship. Um, okay, I guess you could say that. I think people would find my argument a bit more intuitive than your argument. Oh, it's all fine. And you guys can create your societies all you want with your free healthcare. And I'm going to have my society of freedom and maybe rocket ships even if we can have Elon Musk with us. Uh, you said socialist systems do much better than U.S. health. I believe that what you mean is on average, in other words, uh, because in the U.S. I can expect great service if I have the money to pay for it. Uh, but what you mean is on average in terms of distributing to the entire population. Of course, in my view as a capitalist, I don't care about the average. I don't care about helping so many people. And finally, there was another point I wanted to come back to. You say we are not forcing people to be doctors in single-payer systems. That's true. But that's not what my claim of freedom of the doctor entails. My claim is you're not forcing people to become doctors. You're forcing doctors not to offer private services if they wish. You are kicking them out of business, essentially, by creating the single-payer system, and at least in Canada, by outlawing a private practice. Sure. So a few things. So for one, um, you said like socialist uh, systems do better than the U.S.'s system on average, but you don't care about the average. Um, sure, I guess you can say you don't care about um, the average, you don't care about the actual impact of the policy on most of the people in society. Um, that's fine. You can make that argument if you want to. I don't think very many people will be very, uh, uh, I guess we've sort of reached philosophical bedrock here because we both acknowledge that we just have different moral preferences. Um, but my moral preference is that I want a society that um, makes people happy and functions well. Uh, and you want a society where you don't really care about the impacts on policy on the vast majority of people. And that's fine. Um, so you talked about forcing doctors to not offer private services. Um, sure, I, I mean, doctors typically aren't the ones who are offering private insurance, right? Doctors are just performing the care, whether that be in a single payer uh, uh, insurance system or a uh, private insurance system. Um, you can talk about me taking away the freedom of people to create private health insurance plans uh, uh, where they price gouge and cherry pick and lemon drop 
and uh, engage in business practices where they're letting, uh, denying people for pre-existing conditions and letting people die due to lack of healthcare. That's a freedom I think we can do without as a society. All right. Well, I think we've uh, we've reached the conclusion point, and perhaps uh, James, we could go to questions. But I I would do as a concluding statement. Yes, it seems that we just have differences. I think that the societies that have been successful were not led by people who were like you. I believe that the people who formed the success of the U.S., for example, were under a very small government where the happiness of people was put in their own hands, as is specified in the Constitution. Uh, if you put people's pursuit of happiness in their own hands, you're going to have self-sustainable systems and systems that reward the right people. If you go for socialism, it will last for a while. It will last perhaps even for decades and perhaps even centuries if you start from a very wealthy society. But the fact is that you have removed one of the essential elements of capitalism, which is the redistribution of wealth in the hands of those who produce good stuff for people that people want and demand. When, once you don't have this, whether you are under a tyrannical or democratic control, which is the same to me, you're going to end up with a non-productive society at the end of it, no matter what, because you don't have a system of amelioration of your production. Sure. Um, I guess I'll just give my opening statements as well. Um, so you sort of talk about um, uh, socialists, uh, societies that have been successful haven't been socialists, they've been very like more proximating what you're talking about. Um, again, and this is sort of like the, I guess, the, the overview of our disagreement is you think that societies like the one uh, that are organized along the lines that you talk about just happen to be more successful. The problem is this just isn't born. Uh, this just isn't borne out empirically. Um, societies with higher taxes and more social uh, welfare programs have lower income inequality, lower poverty. Uh, uh, these uh, policies correlate with economic growth. Um, these policies correlate with more uh, high-functioning societal institutions. So the idea that like the more successful societies are like the more free market capitalist ones—it's a nice story. It's just not true. Um, you talk about how we have, you know, different principles. I agree. That's sort of, we just have different principles. Um, but I think that there's a pretty stark difference between having principles that say society should be good and having principles that say, um, if people are dying due to lack of healthcare, fuck it. You know, I think, I think people, uh, can make their own decisions on, on whose principles seem more, uh, palatable. Um, I agree that if you put people's happiness into their own hands, we get more successful societies. That's why I don't think people should be inhibited from living life the way that they want to because they don't have enough money uh, to uh, afford health insurance. Um, and uh, yeah, again, like to finally like cap it off, this idea that socialism would remove uh, a sit the situation where we're distributing wealth into the hands of people who are more productive uh, just is uh, not true. Like I've advocated for since the start of this debate systems like social wealth funds, um, which will have the state invest in companies that tend to be more productive and tend to be more innovative. If we look at the actions of Norway's social wealth fund, we find that uh, they invest in companies even more responsibly and productively than the private sector. 
Um, so yeah, I just don't see like this idea of like what I'm advocating for would stop allocating more resources to more productive people is just uh, uh, not really true. Um, so I guess, yeah, that's, that's my opening. My On the question of uh, who will be convinced by your discourse, I do believe that more people will be convinced by your discourse. I do see that we are headed toward leftist societies. And so I'm leaving all to you. You, you can have society. You can do your try, do, try socialism, try communism. I'll be living very far from you, and I'll be back when you want capitalism back. So all the institutions I advocate for have already been tried, and they work pretty wonderfully, but go okay, for it. I guess Let's I Let's see in a hundred years what happens. All right. Well, if, if I guess if your most substantive counter-argument is there is a possibility that in a hypothetical scenario, a hundred years down the road, your society would collapse due to some unforeseen reasons uh, that you can't really articulate, I guess I'm comfortable with that. Not some unforeseen reasons. The very same that have led to the crash of uh, USSR, Venezuela, of all these socialist countries in South America that are poor, you're going to be facing the exact same system that these people have established and have failed. So I didn't even know that I had to make a case tonight that socialist societies fail, because I think it's pretty clear. Sure. So this is just a classic equivocation policy in that you're using a word to mean one thing in one part of the argument, and then it means another thing in a different part of the argument. So when you say that my socialism would fail, you're saying that what I'm advocating for uh, would be bad. But then you say, and the reason for this is places like the USSR and Venezuela have failed, but these societies didn't implement the economic structures that I advocated for. They just called themselves the same thing. And that's about as far as the association goes in terms of the economic substance. Um, well, so We do we have to... reached a point. USSR was not the right communism. We have reached it, boys. We are going to jump into the Q&A. Thanks so much to our guests. agree with? That was tremendous. Amazing. So we are excited as we jump into these questions from you all. Thank you for your questions, folks. The first one coming from Neon Nor, Nior says, To J. Bolshevism, long live the czar. I don't know what this means. Hopefully this is not anything naughty. Sphincter of Doom. I... I'm pretty sure I know what that means. Thanks for your super chat said inequality does not create suffering. Absolute poverty does, which occurs independently of inequality. Singapore has more inequality than the U.S. and none of the problems commonly claimed to be due to excessive inequality. Um, I guess I assume that's for me. Um Sure. I mean, you can say that, but that's just incorrect. Um, we have empirical studies showing that inequality uh, creates uh, things like higher crime, slower economic growth, um, uh, lower social cohesion, worse mental health. Um, the idea that inequality doesn't cause suffering is just patently incorrect. Um, I believe that people's desires are rooted in society. Um, your idea of what constitutes a good, successful life for yourself is going to depend on uh, uh, your surroundings. Um, obviously, if you're living in like sub-Saharan Africa, you're not going to be very upset that you don't own a Maserati because you, you know your neighbors do or something. Um, and poverty, absolute poverty, does absolutely cause suffering. It's a good thing that we can see that welfare alleviates that as well. 
Gotcha. And thanks for your question. This one comes in from Sphincter of Doom. Again, says anything seems worth it spending someone else's money. Redistribution relies on ignoring that distortion of the cost-benefit analysis empirically. Um, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely true that uh, uh, welfare uh, 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 and socialism distorts the cost-benefit analysis, but I think this is a positive thing. Uh, for example, like the analogy that I brought up earlier, of course, people are going to be more willing to vote for the state to do welfare than they would be willing to um, themselves donate all their money to help homeless people. Um, and that's why it's been found that social welfare policies decrease poverty and private charity doesn't. Um, and so, yeah, if we can distort incentives in such a way that decreases poverty and decreases uh, negative economic externalities, uh, then, yeah, I'm all for that distortion. Gotcha. Thanks so much. And this next question comes in from F3 Stop Motion says the most unequal of all things is equality. Um, I mean, that's a cool catchphrase, I guess, but I, I don't know what that's even supposed to mean. Gotcha. Next well, for one. example, uh, if you equalize the outcome of everyone, uh, if you equalize, for example, the salary of everyone, knowing that everyone's job contributes with different amount of productivity, that some people trying to work are actually not even contributing to society and that some people don't work. If you were to pay all these people equal amounts, uh, there would be unfair uh, unfairness to equality in this case. And this is exactly what socialism, socialism does all the time. It equalizes, it equalizes stuff in a way that is unfair. Gotcha. Sure, I guess you... Okay, sure. Well, we, I can give you a chance to give a, a quick response if you want. So, I mean, you're just sort of morally loading this with the term fair. Uh, and by fair, you mean what's desirable, and what's by desirable, you mean um, whatever the pre tax and transfer distribution of income is, is what's fair and what's desirable. Mm -hmm. But I think that the pre tax and transfer distribution of income and economic resources um, leaves a lot of income inequality, a lot of poverty, a lot of negative externalities. So I don't think that's actually desirable. I, I and yet it's the pre violent state of nature. We must. Uh, sure. Um, I also hope you beat your friends' heads in with rocks when going. you get in disputes because that was also the state of nature. All right, we must. Tioga, I would, thanks for if your they question. Were to me. This next one comes in from Tioga. I never understand. She says, make the squirrels pay for nuts. She's insane. I don't understand that. Thank you very much, though, Tioga. Says, next up, Nyan Yor says, the book, quote, under the sign of the scorpion has a whole chapter on the moral bankruptcy of Marxism. It's a history of the Soviet Union and communism. Listen, okay, if somebody who wrote a book once disagrees with that, what I'm saying here, I guess I must be wrong. Gotcha. By the way, have you, has anyone ever told you your cadence in your speaking sounds a bit like Stephen, like, like Destiny? Now the second, yes, everyone tells me that, and it's it's very uh, it's okay, I guess. I feel like that's a JF's old buddy, but that's, <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, oh, I'm sorry. Thanks, <laughs> thanks so much for your question. Molag Haksa says JF opinions on the brilliance of Dang. Uh, I know if I'm gonna mispronounce this, I might have to spell it out. 
um, D E N G Dang and then Zia Coping, uh, X I A O P I N G Thought Zia Ping Dang. I don't know who that is. Let me just Google. Uh, she may have overreach, uh, is getting strong. I don't know who that is. It's some, some sort of Indian footballer. Oh no, Deng Xiaoping role in transforming China. So some member of the Communist Party of China. Uh, no, look, I, uh, I don't have specific opinions because I don't know what's his contribution. Gotcha. And thanks so much for your question. This one comes in from Nasty Guy Steven Steen. I have to read it. It says, <laughs> even in a hoodie, James still catches the eye immediately. What a stud. I always tell you this, Steven. You're married. All right. Brenton Langle, thanks for your question. I've like JF, you guys debated, right? You and Brenton, like almost for sure. I'm in Britain. Uh, Brenton and uh, Brenton Langle, I could have sworn you guys have debated. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I debated Brenton, yes, That's on this right. channel. Yeah, he's, uh, he's back. He wants another piece of you. He says, oh. he says, freaking out about the DMV '90s hack comedians called and they want their laziest material back. I just renewed my license. It's fine, JF. Yeah. Uh, oh, he's making this. Uh, uh, he's snapping <laughs> me like this. I, I expect nothing less from a feminine from from a feminine communist like him. I just wanted to say, like, with regards to the DMV stuff, you can look at areas like I don't know why you would compare the function of the DMV to the function of Walmart. These things do completely different things so of course they would be run differently but we can look at very specific aspects and in specific industries for example um, uh, like social security systems that take care of people after retirement uh, the post office healthcare, all things which empirically are done much more uh, efficiently uh, uh, by the state uh, when they're done in that fashion uh, than the private sector so this like idea you were trying to make with that comparison that like the state's always less effective is just like uh, i guess Flawed. Next, thanks for your question. We have plenty more questions, so stick around for more juicy ones. Want to remind you, our guests are linked in the description, folks, so you can hear plenty more from them if you click those links below. Sphincter of Doom strikes again, says citing GDP when GDP includes government spending for the impact on economic growth is relying on a falsifiable metric regarding empiricism. Sure. So I, I don't really get the criticism here. Uh, what's what's the argument? Um, I'm, well, I would I would point out to some of your arguments, for example, where I'm mentioning welfare reduces poverty, which is, uh, <laughs> of course, of course, if you throw money into people's bank account, there's less people with, with zero dollar in their bank account. Uh, the question normally that we engage with uh, empirically is the question of long term. Did we fix it or did we make it worse? And the answer is intergenerationally, we're creating more poverty with welfare than we would in a world that there's no welfare. You have absolutely no empirical evidence to, to uh, uh, suggest that welfare in the long term creates more poverty. Um, that just well, absolutely I have two isn't for true. You. Like every I've single... given two for you in the debate. First, the fact that welfare keeps increasing in the U.S., so it doesn't solve the problems. Fact, the fact Second, that... 
Second, okay. I've, al I've already mentioned, don't feed the ducks. We know evolutionarily what happens when we favor certain life forms over others. And so we know that if, if you feed the ducks, there will be more ducks and they will be more dependent on your feeding. Same thing happens with humans, unless you can demonstrate that humans are not subject to natural selection. Sure. So a couple things. So for one, the fact that welfare has been increasing over time doesn't mean that welfare is increasing poverty. I'll like you're just you saying, really like you're taking. Sure, sure. I'll be I'll be quick. So you're just taking one data point and then saying that it proves a totally unrelated data point. Um, uh, uh, of course, we wouldn't expect welfare to solve poverty. There is no uh, uh, long term solve to poverty. There's no policy we can put in place that will make po uh, po uh, poverty never happen again because people are still going to be born right, in circumstances must... where they're locked out of market incomes. Just to try to get through as many questions. I hate to not give you a response, Jeff, but just because the uh, original objection was too mouthy, I'll give him the last word. Brenton, thanks for your question. Here he is again. He says, JF, Elon Musk has gotten. 280 million in subsidies oh yeah i'm against the subsidies i would remove them from him but the fact is he got most of his wealth from having a success in, des in uh, designing paypal and it changed the world and it improved the world and so it's good that he has the money because he knows how to improve the world and he seems to be doing a good job with solar panels thanks so much and layman good to hear from you uh, past debater as well says this debate felt more like market regulation versus deregulation rather than worker ownership versus private ownership for both what are your definitions i think they mean of socialism and capitalism sure so my definition of socialism is a society where um uh, the sort of the the public exerts uh, uh, control over the economy rather than uh, private interests exerting control for private profit. Um, so I advocated pretty explicitly in the debate for both strong sectoral unions and a social wealth fund uh, through which the government buys up shares in companies uh, and uh, basically controls the economy through that mechanism um, and is subject to democratic control. So um, yeah, I guess most of the debate focused on uh, welfare policy, but I think in the immediate sense, um, nationalizing key industries and having a social wealth fund, which exerts government control through that way, um, would essentially achieve uh, uh, the goals which socialists generally set out to achieve. And my definitions are quite simple. Socialism is the control of economic output through forced redistribution or forced acquisition of wealth, whereas capitalism is free distribution of wealth through consensual buying and selling. Thanks so much. We'll jump into this next question. This one comes in from Sphincter of Doom. Thanks so much. Says, private charity not doing enough ignores the crowding effect of public welfare. Um, so that's just not true. We can look at places where there is less welfare and um, essentially like very low amounts of welfare and pretty much all of the uh, 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 money which is allocated to help uh, people in poverty comes from private charity and its effect on poverty pales in comparison to that of uh, actual government social welfare. Thank you. And stupid whore energy has entered the building. She says, does JF agree that capitalist nations have used political economic warfare to cripple socialist nations? 
Oh, absolutely. And when I do the apology of capitalism, it's almost a theoretical capitalism because the fact is the U.S. has been invading countries and I'm totally against it. And the U.S. has been controlling regimes through CIA intervention, totally against this. So I'm talking mostly of the free market interactions. And I'm saying whenever the U.S. has done something very bad, it's been through the hand of government. And when it's done things good, it has been through the private sector. Gotcha. Thanks so much. Sphincter of Doom strikes again. Poor Mouthy says intentions don't determine results. Rockefeller made kerosene so cheap it made whale oil obsolete. Rockefeller didn't care about whales, but profits. Um, sure. Uh, so there is a, uh, a some overlap, as I said, uh, like at the very beginning of this debate between what's profitable to do economically and what's like net beneficial to humanity. Um, the problem is if you uh, draw like draw it out as a Venn diagram, while there is overlap, there's also significant areas of, of non-overlap. There are things which are profitable to produce, um, which uh, 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 are net beneficial. Uh, not beneficial to humanity. Um, for example, pumping fossil fuels into the atmosphere. Then there are things which uh, uh, would be beneficial to humanity, but aren't profitable, so they're not produced. Uh, providing like high-speed in, uh, internet in like rural communities is a good example of this. Like internet companies won't provide high-speed internet because there's not enough population density for it to be substantially profitable, and yet it would still be a good thing if this were done. Gotcha. Thanks so much. This next question comes in from Brenton Langle. Here he is again. Says taxes or taxes in a fiat economy are not a big deal. If taxes disappeared, rent would rise, as would prices, and buying power would not increase long term. And that would be perfect. The money would finally get into competent businessmen who would construct more building, who would construct more great things with that money. Whereas now it's in the hand of government who want to heal, fix, and they do so in a way that is uh, not helping and that ultimately is social engineering. They want to change the world as our friend here, Mati and Fidel wants. They want to fix the problem for people against their will and against the will of the people they collect taxes from. Okay. Thanks so much. I mean, yeah, sure. I, like, I, uh, okay, yeah, see, go ahead. Just, I, just because we do have, we have a good amount of questions, so I, I do want to keep moving. Um, let's see. Sphincter of Doom. Don't worry, though, Mouthy. We've got plenty of more objections for you. It says, the ranking of healthcare systems has South Korea ranked below the U.S. despite it being single-payer. Singapore is more privately funded than the U.S. and outperforms most, if not all, single-payer systems. Uh, so that's empirically not really true. Um, so first of all, Singapore is significantly more regulated than the U.S. They have things like price caps and like a variety of other regulations, which are uh, much more uh, uh, impactful than the U.S. Uh, uh, healthcare regulations. Also to say that like South Korea is a single payer system and it like performs uh, uh, worse is just a cherry picking fallacy. Um, we can look at a variety of single payer systems like systems in like Sweden or the UK um, that uh, perform significantly better. 
Um, and I haven't seen any studies suggesting that uh, healthcare quality and cost effectiveness in Singapore is greater than that of uh, uh, countries like uh, Sweden, Norway, Britain, etc. Gotcha. Thanks so much. And Sphincter of Doom says, strikes again, says utilitarianism. If you could cure cancer by enslaving a random 5% of the population, would you be okay with that? Uh, yeah, so I don't think that these kinds of arguments, uh, like, so I think these kinds of arguments attempt to show that utilitarianism is unintuitive uh, by imagining, uh, uh, like, hypothetical situations where in our actual, like, moral uh, intuition would be very different. Um, the reason that slavery is largely uh, unintuitive uh, morally uh, and unjustified from a utilitarian perspective is that the massive amount of suffering which would be incurred upon the slaves wouldn't really justify uh, uh, the broader uh, uh, societal like well-being that it creates. Thank you very much. Well, uh, we have a reversal because earlier it seemed that death from cancer was the great uh, the great drama that we absolutely had to fix and it didn't matter if we took people against their consent. So I believe that the super chat is less of a metaphor and more of an actual description of what Marty and Fidel wants to do. I'll give you the last Taxes were literally slavery. Unfortunately, that's, uh, or fortunately, um, uh, paying a small tax in order to prevent thousands of people from dying uh, of healthcare isn't uh, the same as forcefully enslaving people and forcing 50% of income is not small. Keep going. I hate to do that to you guys, but we do have a lot of other great questions. Dr. Dink. Eston says, hey, Mouthy, why did you cancel the follow-up debate you had set up with Pearl Brain on the LTV? He has said that he's still willing to have it and is open to letting modern-day debate moderate if he's open to it. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I'd be open to it if, if you I, Okay, so I'm not exactly sure who Pearl Brain is. If he's the guy that I'm thinking of who I did my first LTV with debate with the... um. Uh, the uh, profile picture from like the boys or whatever. I think I blocked that guy because he was extremely fucking annoying. Gotcha. <clears throat> um, as a side note, relatedly, JF, because we love, we can't help but love juicy debate challenges. Nathan Thompson, one of the, uh, I think, I think all, the chat would probably agree that Nathan Thompson is uh, among the flat earthers, even if you don't think any of them are good at debating. They would say that Nathan is still the best. Challenges you, JF. He says he wants a piece of you on either whether or not the earth is flat or whether or not space exists. <laughs> Uh, sure, I accept, but uh, give me at least a month of space because I hate to do free appearances. I hate charity. And if I was to come back on this channel in a week, I would feel like I'm giving too much. So maybe in a month or two from now. You got it. Juicy. And thanks so much for your question. This one comes in from... You, you hate charity? <laughs> okay. <There's> the, <laughs> logical, logical, plausible, probable. Thanks for your question. Says, Mouthy, are you in school? Do you currently pay all expenses? If so, is it from inherited money, gift money from third party, or money that you earn? Um... 
I am not currently paying for school. Gotcha. I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not in college. And next up, thanks for your question. This one comes in from Sinker of Doom, says, citing social democracies for the merits of socialism is equivocation as well. Um, well, no, because we were talking very specifically about the uh, efficacy of tax and transfer policies, uh, looking at social democracies, which have these same policies and looking at how effective these policies have been in those social democracies um, is quite apt to the conversation that we were having. Gotcha. Thanks for your question. Eric Nelson says JF should put money on that 100 year bet. Yeah, but uh, the problem is if I bet with a communist about his potential success in 100 years, he's not going to have money to pay me back 100 years later. <laughs> Next up, thanks for your uh, super chat. Jonah Nelson says, appreciate your support, Jonah. Says, James, thank you for all you do. Everyone needs to thank uh, James. You don't have to thank me, folks. We, You're hanging out with us is thanks enough. We appreciate you. They said, uh, we appreciate, they said we appreciate all the work that goes into this. Here is a donation towards the cause. Hopefully that uh, COVID debate in the future works out that oh yeah hopefully it does that would be epic and folks we do I remember right JF I know that it, like originally Quebec right yes and are you you're are you still in Quebec right now do you live in Quebec or the US oh I live uh, far from civilization close to the North Pole <laughs> gotcha okay we what we'd like to do is we are excited about future debates, folks, including potential in-person debates. And so hopefully this summer we get to that. And so I'm kind of like always putting feelers out there. Uh, you guys, Mouthy and JF, are possible people that we might say, hey, if we're in the area, which uh, you know we, we'd be willing to make our way out, depending on how close to the North Pole it is, we would uh, be pumped to do some in-person hosting of you guys. And so we are excited about the future. Sphincter of Doom is added again, says all empirical studies claiming inequality causes suffering rely on cherry picking countries, time periods or both. Um, OK, I mean, if you want to make the claim that like uh, any peer reviewed empirical study, which contradicts the narrative you're coming into the debate with is like de facto flawed, I guess you can do that. I just feel like um at that point, you're not actually approaching these topics in an intellectually honest way. Gotcha. I mean, we don't have broad measures that would allow, for example, comparing the happiness of the American in 1850 to the happiness of today's American. There's just no correspondence. And my guess is that the the well-being, the subjective well-being, was probably much better then, but you wouldn't have a scientific study allowing you to measure it because there was no surveys that were normalized with today's data sure the problem is that we don't need data from the 1800s in order to gotta, conduct studies on the effects of inequality I gotta move to the next one let's see this one comes in from dearest sigifredo sarabia says what to if sometimes these are tough for me uh, always likes to get, you know keep me on my uh on my toes it says what to if majority on welfare went next iPhone. Come on, Sigifredo. I don't understand that. I'm sorry. But uh, next, logical, plausible, probable says, did you, either of you guys got that? No. Says no. The, he, he comes back at mouthy. He says, is PPP 
higher or lower in capitalist societies or socialist? Is average income higher or lower? Is average net worth higher or lower? Um, it depends on what you mean by socialist societies. If you're talking about um, the societies that most closely approximate the uh, uh, institutions that I'm advocating for, um, then yes, absolutely, like average uh, uh, income. Well, I guess average is sort of a tricky word because I think if you were to do the average of me and Jeff Bezos's money, we would have like an average of what, like a trillion or something. Uh, just like 500 billion or something. So uh, I'm not really sure about average, but I would say like the uh, uh, normal person excluding people at the very high end of the income distribution are much better off in the societies that most cr uh, closely approximate the institutions I'm advocating for. If you guys do the math, Mati and Fidel just revealed his yearly salary and wealth, which is zero, but you have to do the math based on what he just said. Next up, uh, okay. <laughs> next up, thanks for your question. This one comes in from Stephen Mulraney. He says, where did the Russian oligarchs come from? I don't know what that question is like referring to. Uh, I know what it refers to, and it is not something to be talked about here. Next up, thanks for your irresistible truth. Your question says, Mouthy, most of us know socialism is evil and theft against its people why is it important to ignore history mass misery has been done by so clam marxism or socialism marxism and communism no i uh here's the thing i love history uh that's why every single thing that i've advocated for social wealth funds tax and spend policies union policies um, uh, nationalizations, all of things, these things have been done historically. Uh, and I'm currently looking at a doc with uh, studies showing the effectiveness of literally all of these institutions uh, uh, historically. So I, I don't think, I, I think like to make the historical argument against socialism, you have to again equivocate uh, uh, literally all uh, uh, concepts of socialism with like Venezuela and like the USSR. Gotcha. And I just understood. Sigifredo Sarabia's question was, what do you do if the majority of people on welfare want the next iPhone? What? There... Um, then I, I don't know. Like if there was a survey done that said everyone on welfare wants an iPhone, then uh, hopefully they would buy an iPhone, I guess. Gotcha. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Like, yeah, I'm not advocating for state-mandated iPhones. In an ideal society, though, in the society that I advocate for, welfare would be expansive enough that if people wanted an iPhone, they would be able to afford an iPhone. So, Gotcha. Next. Thanks for your question. Neon Nior says, ask JF if he'll be on Ethan Ralph's show again. No. Gotcha. Next. Sphincter of Doom uh, asks, would you be interested in a debate with Mouthy, or said they would be interested in a debate with Mouthy over socialism? Oh, snap. We always love a good okay. debate challenge. Mouthy, if you want a piece of Sphincter of Doom, it's, it's the same person that's been harassing you. I throw out these questions. Next up. Ed, I'm down. We, next up, Sphincter of Doom again says, comparing undeveloped 
countries with fewer resources in the first place is not an apt comparison for the impact of private versus public charity. The same country wouldn't have enough resources to tax. I don't know what this person is asserting. My com my empirical comparisons between the impacts of private charity and public social welfare aren't limited to comparing the like U.S. to like developing nations. Like I guess they're just sort of like making up methodologies that would be bad, and then assuming that's what I'm referencing. Next up, thanks for your question from Nick says. Can you ask Soy Boy to get a haircut so he doesn't have to keep flicking his hair out of his eyes? I just got a haircut. Okay. I next just question. got a haircut, actually. <laughs> nice. Funny enough. And no, I'm not getting another one. Very nice. And Sphincter of, oh, we got Sphincter of Doom again says the ranking of the South Korea system does perform better than the U.S., but it's penalized in ranking for having tiered levels of service. Yeah, of course it does better than the U.S. I wasn't disputing it does better than the U.S. I was disputing that it does better than uh, other systems with single-payer systems. Gotcha. And Sphincter of Doom, again, says price controls are not cost controls. They either allow trade at the equilibrium price or they do not. If they do, the control is superfluous. If they do not, you get a shortage of goods or customers. Okay. I don't know what he's arguing against. Next. I'm not certain myself, but Stephen Mulraney says the consolidation under the Soviet state. I think it was always oh, like maybe back to that question of leading up to the Russian oligarchs, like what happened. But uh, Neutrinoid Fractolite. Thanks for your question, said my grandfather with one low-skill job could feed 10 children and buy a house. Why can't we do it today in Quebec? I don't know. Socialism is the answer. Socialism. Oh, wait. Okay. First of all, what do you mean by socialism? Because to my estimation, Canada isn't a socialist nation. Okay, well, that means that you're headed for, for worse than Canada. Uh, you know, socialism and communism is just a matter of percentage of the size of the state with respect to the size of the private sector. And in Quebec, I would estimate, uh, although you'll, you'll have people tell you that there's only 20% uh, or 10% of the GDP that's uh, state-based, uh, if you include the school system, the school taxes, the provincial taxes, and also all of these industries that the state more or less controls through legal stuff and Hydro-Quebec also for the electricity, you end up basically 50% of the activity in Quebec is state-based. Sure, but I don't think you have any data to suggest that the state ownership of like enterprises or anything is the reason why it's harder for people in Quebec to get by, especially when we can point to other nations which have significantly larger portions of government ownership over the economy, um, wherein like the average person is much better off economically. It's not the state ownership itself, it's the redistribution policy that comes with it. Sure. So you can say that, but like empirically, welfare policies tend to uh, decrease poverty, decrease uh, the poverty gap even. 
So even the extent to which people are uh, far under the poverty line. Somehow your um, studies have not looked into our grandfather's lives because they had uh, a single job for the men and they were able to 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 be able to uh, respond to the needs of 10 children. That is true. And that is true that you can't do this today. So there's something wrong with your studies. Sure. So the fact that X condition exists says nothing about the validity of various studies on why that condition exists. Um, I, I guess if you want to, you can pretend like anecdotes about your grandfather um, are more valid than peer-reviewed academic studies, which control for variables in order to assess uh, various complexities and the causal interactions between different policies and social outcomes. But you say um, all the yeah, words of a peer-reviewed epistemology you got there. Peer-reviewed data, epistemology, but we don't get to know. Have your studies looked into why people's family life was uh, easier to do a hundred years ago than it is now, give you given chance. the increase in productivity of society? We still don't have an answer to this, so you're bullshitting people with words that are cute if you are bent towards submitting yourself toward peer-reviewed authority. But it means nothing what you're mentioning there. Malthy, okay, I, right I think... Now. Are you oh, saying that one studies Malthi, are invalid Malthi, because Malthi, we don't well, have two things? Sure. Malthi, Malthi, one thing. I'm not sure if you knew. I think you were you might have muted yourself. We couldn't hear the first uh, bit that you were saying there. But then also, I want to give you a chance to respond, Malthi, and then we definitely have to go to this last question. So I, I'm not sure what point exactly you think you're making. You think because there haven't been studies on why in like a specific part of Canada life is harder now than it used to be that that therefore discounts other studies looking at other time periods and countries which consistently find uh, a causal relationship between more redistribution and better economic outcomes. Um, no, I'm saying this, that you're not properly really communicating follow. scientific results when you are just communicating titles. It's all beautiful seeing you read titles of articles, but you have to look into them. You have to look into whether they've looked into the quality of life measures, the ability to reproduce in past societies, the well-being that was associated with traditional life and marriage. I don't have the impression that they looked into this, but if they did, you do a very bad job at bringing it and giving it a life here on this show. Because what I'm giving you is I'm the author's interpretation. Uh, and then we really do have to keep going. Sure. So wh what I'm giving you is the interpretation of the studies uh, and the results of the studies found by the authors of the studies. I know like accurately representing uh, what the authors found in a study might be really hard for you. Um, but this is a pretty simple approach uh, that I'm taking. We must go to um, the next one. Uh, okay. Let's see. I, I hate to cut you short, uh, Malthy, but... Streeb Roman says, if Malthy could have his socialism for the country he lives in, but without any immigration, would he take it? Um, I don't think that would function well. Next up. Thanks no, for I'm not in favor of immigration controls. Thanks for uh, you've touched thanks on the sensitive issue here. We uh, Sphincter of Doom, thanks for your... It says, uh, saying welfare reduces poverty is like saying antipsychotics cure schizophrenia take away the drugs and they suffer the symptoms again welfare does not reduce poverty it makes poverty comfortable um sure 
So that's just categorically not true. Uh, poverty is defined as uh, having below a certain income level. And if we can show that um, uh, welfare programs uh, reduce the number of people below that income level, then that's not making poverty more comfortable. That's by definition reducing poverty. I think it's kind of funny that they drew this like comparison of like, oh, that's like saying that if um, if uh, medication can reduce psychiatric symptoms, then we should do that medication. It's like, yeah, probably maybe we should do that if something reduces a bad thing, then maybe it's good. Like, I, I find it really weird because Jeff made this point as well, where they think it's a dunk to say like, huh, obviously welfare reduces poverty. It's like, yeah, maybe that's why we should do it. Gotcha, thanks so much. Wanna say a huge thank you to our guests as the debaters make this show as fun as it is. And so we wanna say thank you to them. And we also wanna let you know, folks, if you have not already clicked on clicked on their links in the description, hey, now is a great opportunity to do that as I have linked both of our guests. And so one last, also want to say thanks so much, mods. Uh, want to ask everybody in the live chat to keep it. We, uh, you know, obviously attack people's arguments, their, you know, ideas, etc. We do want to ask that you'd be friendly to people, our guests, not making fun of, uh, you know, things that are irrelevant. And also, we want to ask that you would be welcoming to all groups, as we do really want to have this be a legit melting pot, not, you know, like, uh, we want to live it out, is what I'm saying. So, with that, one last thank you to both Mouthy and JF for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for that, having me. Take care, folks. Keep sifting out the reasonable from the unreasonable. We will be back I think it's, uh, what is it, Saturday. So I think we'll have several debates next week, including we just booked Matt Dillahunty and Stuart Nettle on Friday. That should be a big one. So we're excited about that. And we hope to see you there. Thanks, folks. Have a great night. Keep sifting out the reasonable from the unreasonable and take care. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.